0: If you would turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 10 this morning. We've been working our way through the book of Hebrews. and uh, It's been a great tour so far through the book of Hebrews. Uh, The next three weeks we're going to kind of break off into a sub-series or a a mini-series in the book of Hebrews on the person of Melchizedek. We're going to take three weeks again to do that. Uh, McKelzedek is a fairly unknown person, and I think that's purposeful. I think it's there. We know little about him for a reason. And so so as we go, we're going to look at that and see why that is. But before we read the text, I want us to think about how we read the Bible. As Christians, I, I hope we read the Bible. I hope we study the Bible. I hope we read it daily. It should be something that we do as Christians, is to dig into the Word of God. Uh, but what lens do we read the Bible through? What do we think about as we read through Scripture? Um, the Bible's not just a book of stories. So often we're taught that in Sunday school, or, or we read through through books, or read through uh, even children's Bibles, and we see there's just a lot of good stories in there that we read about all these great people in Scripture. And the thing is, that's not the theme of Scripture. That's not the theme of the Bible. It's just like any other book. Uh, it does have a theme. It has a point. It has a, a main character. It has a hero. And as we read Scripture, we should see that that person is Jesus. The God-man. He is the hero of Scripture. He is a person that uh, we should be looking for as we read through Scripture. We see in the very beginning, in the beginning, God. So as we read the Bible, we should be looking for God. In the beginning, God. So we should be looking for Him. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God's. So we should be looking for this Jesus who is the, the Word that came down to us. There are so many characters in the Bible. There are so many other beings in the Bible, right? But they're not the main point. They're not the theme. Again, Jesus is the theme. Some of these other people or beings are important in Scripture. But they're not the most important. They're not the theme. The prophets were important, right? But what did the prophets, what was their, their goal? What was they sent here to do to point people to our ultimate and perfect prophet Jesus Christ that was their point Jesus is a greater prophet a better prophet the angels are important we saw this in Hebrews 1 right but as my professor taught us in seminary Jesus is more better and more greater than even the angels Abraham is important. We talked about Abraham last week, right? Abraham and and Pastor Jeff showed us that we should take some attributes from Abraham. He was an important person in Scripture. Matter of fact, God gave us a covenant through Abraham, right? But Abraham is not as important as Jesus. Jesus is far greater and better than Abraham because God made a better covenant with Jesus. Moses. Moses is important when it comes to the scriptures, right? God gave us the law through Moses. But Moses is not as important as Jesus. Jesus is far greater and better than Moses. As a matter of fact, if we're not looking for Jesus when we're reading Moses, when we're reading the Old Testament, then I would argue that we might be reading the Bible incorrectly. Now, I want us to be reading the Bible. I want us, I encourage us to keep reading Scripture. We should be reading it daily. But we need to read it through the right lens. And I believe the author of Hebrews is teaching the Hebrews this and in turn teaching us this. How to read Scripture. I believe the Hebrew people were reading it wrong. I think Jesus even tells them that. The Bible, and even the Old Testament, is a Christian book. It's about Christ. So often we can get off track when we're reading the Bible. And again, Jesus tells us this in him, himself in John chapter 5, verse 39 and verse 46. He's talking to the Jewish leaders who are obviously reading the Bible wrong. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that bear witness about me. And in verse 46 he says, if you believed Moses, you would have believed And me also, for he wrote of me. So what is Jesus talking about here? The Old Testament. He's saying if you search the scriptures, you think they have eternal life. They do, and it's me. I am the one it's written about. So all of scripture is about Jesus. The author of Hebrews is showing us this in this sermon and we'll discuss this more as we go, but the author of Hebrews uses what the Bible says and what the Bible doesn't say when it comes to Melchizedek, and he's going to show us why it matters when discussing Jesus. Okay, The author of Hebrews is going to show us what, what the Bible says about Melchizedek and what it doesn't say about Melchizedek and why it's important. When we, when we are discussing it regarding Jesus. So let's read Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10 this morning. I'll read aloud if you'll follow uh, quietly. You can follow Hebrews chapter 7 verses 1 through 10. It says, For Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything, He is first, by translation of his name, King of Righteousness. And then he is also King of Salem, that is, King of Peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God who continues a priest forever. See how great this man was, to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who receive the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers though these also are descended from Abraham but this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises it is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior in the one case, tithes and are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time that we get to gather and sit before your throne of grace and worship you. Lord, so I pray that this time of us looking to your word will be a time of worship. Lord, that it will be a time of honoring you and glorifying you. Lord, and that we will make much of you. So Lord, help us to block out any distractions today, anything that might be on our mind, any, any sin that might be hindering us from our true and holy worship of you. Lord, I pray that you will cause us to repent of that sin, to turn from that sin, and run to you and run to your throne. Lord, speak to us now through your word. or show us more of who you are, more of your grace, more of your mercy, more of your strength, and more of your power. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we see that this Melchizedek was king of Salem, priest of the Most High God. The author of Hebrews wanted to discuss Melchizedek earlier in chapter 5. Right we see in chapter 5 in verse 8 he says although he was a son he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek So here he wanted to talk about this he wanted to talk about Jesus being a high priest after the order of Melchizedek but then what did he say But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers and discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. See, the author of Hebrews wants to teach on this. He says it's hard to teach on, and you're not ready for it. You're you're not trained in righteousness. You have not studied the scriptures well enough for me to teach this to you. You've become dull of hearing. We don't want to be dull of hearing. We want the Lord to speak to us. We want to be able to eat solid food as Pastor Jeff taught us. And we do that by studying the word of God and by learning the word of God and by eating the (laughs) word of God. So he moves on. The author of Hebrews moves on and kind of continues to rebuke the people for not being able to eat solid food. But then he comes back to it. He just can't help it. He comes back to it here in chapter 7. He says, okay, this is hard to explain, but i got to explain it to you. I need to explain this to you. I need you to understand why it's important that Jesus is a high priest from the line in the order of Melchizedek. So who is Melchizedek? Is he the pre-incarnate son of God? Was he a real person? Was he human? Was he a theophany, meaning the manifestation of God? Was he just a myth? Is he an angel? So, as we study these verses, I want us to see five things and try to determine who Melchizedek is. Okay, so there's five things I want us to see here. First, we see he is the king of Salem. In verses one and two, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, Priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. He is first of his translation by name, and we'll keep going on that. But first, we want to see he's a king. He was king of Salem. I want us to see in Scripture where Melchizedek met Abraham. He says that here. He says they met together. So we see that in, in Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14, verses 17 through 20, he says, After his return from the defeat of Chedor-Lemor and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheba, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God, Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So we see here that he was a king. That and he went out and met Abraham. This is a, a, a an historical event, right? We Genesis is a book of the Bible. It's true. It's right. This is history. Okay, this is an event. This happened. So we see in the book of Genesis saying, that, do we see here him saying anything else about Melchizedek being anything other than a man? No, he was a, a man. He was a king. He was a king and a priest. This is a fact. It doesn't say he was an angel. It doesn't say he was a pre-incarnate Christ or anything like that. It just says he was a king, right? We take the word for what it says king of priest, He was the king of Salem. Where was Salem? Most scholars say it was probably Jerusalem at that time. But he is also what, king of righteousness. Translating his name in Hebrew, it's king of righteousness. Mechilzadeh, king of righteousness. The author of Hebrews also tells us that he was a king of peace. Salem translated in Hebrew is Shalom, which means peace. He was a king of peace. It's a lot of accolades for a guy we don't know much about. Right? Man king of righteousness. King of peace. King of Jerusalem. Wow. That's a lot. Second thing I want to see here. That he is without father, mother or genealogy. Right? In our text. He see his first translation of, of his name. King of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem. That is king of peace. Verse 3. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. So what does this mean? It's a good question. So does this guy just arrive on the scene from heaven? And he's just come down from heaven and was there to meet Abraham? I don't think so. I think the author of Hebrews is telling us that we don't know who his father or mother was. We don't know who they were. We don't know who his family was. We don't know who his aunt and uncles were. Who his brothers and sisters were. Who his grandparents were. We don't know who they were. The Bible doesn't tell us this. And I would say the Bible doesn't tell us this on purpose. So the author is making a point here. And later we'll see this when he contrasts this with the Levitical priests. That's the point. He's contrasting here. He's going to show us. Where did the Levitical priest come from? Levi, ultimately Abraham, right? Where did Melchizedek's priesthood come from? From God, okay? That's going to be the point. We don't know who his family was. So this guy shows up in Genesis with Abraham, and then he's gone. So we want to see he is without, the second point, he's without father or mother or genealogy. Third point is he is without a birthday or death certificate. Right? In verse 3 he says, "He's without father, mother, or genealogy, either having neither beginning of days nor end of life. So again, I don't want us to think that that means he was never born or he never died. It just says we don't know when he was born or when he died. We don't know that. Scripture doesn't tell us that. It's silent on this. And again, that is for a reason. That point is he's telling us that for a reason we often try to dig too much into this we try and make it say something it doesn't <laughs> there's so many youtube videos and and articles out, out there it's all about Mikel's dick and you can try to you know assume who he was when he was born when he died when his kingdom was where it was and the, the time it was and and there's all this stuff assuming a lot of different things. And we can run down these rabbit trails and we can start looking at this stuff. And in and, and doing that, we can start thinking, well, man, well, I don't know who this really was. I don't even know if this is really true because there's not really any facts on his life or his death or anything like that. So I'm not sure then if even the Bible's true. So then it starts getting uh, into our faith and what we actually believe. Because we run down these rabbit trails looking for stuff that really doesn't matter. We can spend hours doing this and looking this stuff up like it matters to our faith. But it doesn't. Again, the author of Hebrews is telling us something when he says that this guy doesn't have a death certificate. As far as the Old Testament narrative is concerned, since he doesn't have a death certificate, it shows there is no end to his priesthood. So, in a sense, his priesthood is continuing. Melchizedek's priesthood is continuing today. That's the point. So if we start looking for other things. We're going to miss the point entirely. Melchizedek's priesthood is still going. And now the author is going to tell us why this is important. Point number four. He is a priest. Priest of the most high God. We see that in verses four through ten. Which is a lot But he says what he's, see how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of his foils. And and those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people that is from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises it is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior in the one case tithes, and, uh, tithes are received by mortal men but in the other case by one of whom is testified that he lives one might even say that Levi himself receives tithes who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him he's a priest priest of the most high god Okay, this man was a priest before even the Levitical priesthood. Before that, he was the first priest. Father Abraham, which many of us learned to call him, right, had many sons. Right. This man, the Hebrews looked to as such a huge figure in their religion. Okay, Abraham's huge to the Hebrews. Paid a tenth of everything he gained from battle to this guy. Abraham, the patriarch, gave this man a tenth of his spoils. What does that mean? Why does it matter? Who is supreme here? And again, in this text, we can get off track so quickly. Man, we can start looking at ties and how he paid a tenth to this guy. What does it mean that they now pay a tenth to the, the Levites? And we can do that and miss the point entirely. Who's supreme here? Abraham, the patriarch, or King Melchizedek? One theologian explained it this way. He says, if a captain of an army goes out and defeats an enemy, can he goes out and defeats an enemy, say, Bonham goes out and defeats Durant, which probably, I don't know. I don't want to say if that would be easy or not. (laughs) But say that happened. And we go out and we defeat Durant and we bring back all the spoils. We get all their cars. Well, I don't know if their cars will run very good. But we can try to get them all and we can bring them back. And we're bringing back all their, their stuff, their, their money, their possessions, their guns, their, their vehicles. We're bringing them all back to bottom. Who are we gonna, if we did that and we brought them all back, are they just ours to keep? If we go gather all the spoils and we bring them all back, can we just say, hey, we're the, I'm the captain of the army. I can do what I want with this stuff. No, what do you have to do? You bring it back to, well, for Bonham's case, it would be the mayor, right? He's the one over. Bonham, you bring it back to the mayor and you say, hey, here's all the stuff we brought back. Here's, here's your cut of it. Here's your 10%, if you will. Here's your cut. They're not the captains to keep. As we've been studying history, Marcus showed us when, when a lot of the armies went out to in battle for the Pope or other, you know, the, the, the Catholic Church, they wouldn't bring in the stuff back. They decided to just keep it and do what they wanted to with it. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm going to keep this myself. So then they had to send another army to go fight that army. But they're not theirs to keep, they're not theirs to do whatever they want to with them. Now we must bring them back. And who does he bring it back to? Okay, there were other kings at this time, there's other kings here. But who does he bring the spoils to? Melchizedek. Why? Because Abraham knew that this king, Melchizedek, was from God. He knew this king was from God. This king blessed Abraham by having a feast for him to celebrate what God had done through Abraham. He wasn't celebrating Abraham. He's celebrating what God had done through Abraham, that God gave him victories in his battle. So it was to celebrate, and it was to celebrate in the name of the supreme God, the living God, the God most high for delivering his enemies, him from his enemies. Abraham recognized this in King Melchizedek. He recognized that this king was a worshiper of his own God. We see this under the title, Most High God. And therefore, he gave him a tenth of his spoils. But this guy's not just a king, he's also a priest. Later in the Hebrew tradition, the priests received the tithe. They received the first fruits. So in the Hebrew tradition, if you grew something, you gave the Levitical priest... The tenth of your whatever you grew. If you slaughtered animals, you gave them a tenth of whatever you slaughtered. Why? Because they were the ones who took care of the temple. They are the ones that made sacrifices on your behalf. And they worked there, so they had no other way to make money. So you paid them. That's, that was their, their wage. You paid them through your tenth. They got the first tenth of everything. That was their salary. Before anything else was paid, you paid them. So where do the Levites come from? And here's the point that the author of Hebrews wants us to see. Where do the Levites come from? From Abraham. Okay. But Abraham paid a tenth to this guy, Melchizedek. So the logic of the author of Hebrews is who is greater here? Who is greater? Abraham or Melchizedek? If you just someone reading the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, how often is Abraham mentioned? How often is Abraham celebrated? How often is Abraham talked about? A lot. What about Melchizedek? Three spots. Right? Three or four spots, that's it. So if we were just going to read through and we'd think, man, Abraham's very, very popular and, and well-known and, and needed and important. But here... The author of Hebrews is saying. Macaldex is way more important than Abraham. Abraham paid him. Matter of fact he says what. In verse 4. See how great this man was. To whom Abraham the patriarch paid attention. See how great this man was. So he was great. Why was he great? Let's recap. King of Salem. King of peace. King of righteousness, priest of the most high God. And in point number five, he resembled the Son of God. At the end of verse three, but he says, He's without, without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a, as he con, he continues a priest forever. The text literally says he was made like the Son of God. That Melchizedek was made like the Son of God. The dead theologian John Owen says that this is the whole point of chapter 7 that Melchizedek is made like the Son of God. He says everything else points to this Melchizedek is made like the Son of God. So again, Melchizedek is not the pre incarnate Son of God. He's a real person, he's a human, he's not an angel. But he was made like the Son of God. And he is what we'd call a type of Christ. He points us to Jesus. So here's where we get into a theological term called typology. Okay. Typology basically is. What it means is. It basically means that people. Practices and events. You sometimes see in the Old Testament. Or foreshadowings of. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that's what it means. Typology means that people, practices, and events you sometimes see in the Old Testament point us to, or are or, or foreshadowings of, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, we discussed this earlier that Jesus says all scriptures about Him. So some of that comes to us in types and fulfillments, and I believe we'll get into that more when we get into Chapter Eight. Because the author of Hebrews uses that word, exactly. He uses that word type. So Melchizedek is a type of Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of what we see in Melchizedek. Who is truly the king of Salem? Who is truly king of peace? Who is truly the king of righteousness? Who is truly the priest of most high God? None other than Jesus. No one else can take that title. Jesus is the King of Kings. So, this is what I want us to take away this morning. Yes, the priestly role is central here in Hebrews 7. And we'll get into that next week. But I don't want us to miss the kingly role. Jesus is king. Remember, this is a, a letter, this, this letter is a sermon. So the author of Hebrews is expounding on or preaching through Psalm 110, right? We saw that, we see it quoted a ton in this letter. I think he's quoted it four or five times just from chapter five through chapter seven. He quotes Hebrews, I mean he quotes Psalm chapter ten. So one theologian here at Sovereign Grace Baptist Church taught us before preaching through Hebrews that if you want to truly understand what they're expounding on, you go read it in the context, right? Y'all remember one of our theologians teaching us this? (laughs) He says, if you want to see what he's truly preaching on, go read the context of the verse that he's quoting. And then you'll truly see what the author of Hebrews is preaching when he preaches a verse from Psalms. So I want to go read, real quick, Psalm 110. Psalm 110 says, The Lord says to my Lord, The Lord is at your right hand, he will shatter kings on the day of his wrath, he will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses, he will shatter chiefs over the wide earth, he will drink from the brook, by the way, therefore he will lift up his head. So we see our verse, chapter um, verse four there, but what do we see all around it? What do we see here in Psalm one ten? A king in his kingdom, right? What will this kingdom, what will this king do in his kingdom? Some rough stuff here. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. And I want us to see this is fulfilled in Jesus, our king. I'm not sure we understand kings and kingdoms much today. Even as we've been going through church history, Mark has been doing a great job of teaching us church history and showing us kings, and even when we talk about kings today, kings have complete and total authority over their kingdom. We have presidents here, right? And we have presidents, and you know what? We can say, that's not my president. This president is terrible. He has poor uh, uh, judgment. He uh, He makes poor decisions. He's terrible. Or we can say, oh, I like this president. Man, he's great. I love him. I love what he does. But with a king, you can't do that. If you go about talking about your king the way we talk about our presidents, you would not last very long. As soon as he found out about it, you would be hunted down and killed. You couldn't talk bad about a king. Again, I love studying history. I love church history. I love especially the Reformation and and even more specifically the English Reformation. I love studying King Henry VIII, his uh, son King Edward, Lady Jane Grey, Queen Mary or what you might know as Bloody Mary. If you study history, you can see what it meant to be a king and what it meant to be a queen and how they were treated. Okay, King Henry had friends. He had friends that he loved to go hunt with. They hunted a lot, they loved to uh, go hunting, they loved to play sports, they would love to play, I think the sport now, they would call it tennis, but I think it more looks like pickleball now, you know, back then, because they didn't have a good ball or good tennis rackets, but they loved to play sports. And so they would play sports, they would uh, do things together, but when King Henry went and sat on his throne, In his throne room, his friends could not come into that room unless invited in. They couldn't just casually walk in and say, hey, what's up, buddy? You're my friend. If they did that, you know what would happen to them immediately? They would be killed. Even though they could be his best friend, you could not go in front of the king unless you're invited. And guess what you did when you're invited? You walked into the king and you bowed down before the king, and you only rose up when he told you to rise up. And then guess what? You only spoke to the king when he asked you a question or told you to speak. You couldn't just say whatever you wanted, you couldn't casually come in before the king. And then guess what? When you were done, you had to back out of the throne room as to not turn your back on the king. If you turned your back on the king in the throne room, guess what would happen to you? You would be killed. The king on his throne was important. And this is a worldly, human king. Now think about our king. Think about our king of kings, the creator of all things, the sinless, perfect, righteous king. How should we approach him? Scripture says that we can approach him, we can approach the throne of grace boldly. And that's true. But that does not mean we can approach his throne of grace flippantly, arrogantly, or casually. Have you seen what happens to sinful humans when they come into the presence of God? Most of them think they're dead. And they should be. It's only by the grace of God they don't die immediately. And that is why Jesus also being the high priest is so important. And we're going to get into that next week. The only way we can approach our king is through what our priest did for us on our behalf. How then should we see Jesus as our king? As our Lord? How should we think when we gather to come into his presence? We gather together on the Lord's day to come into the presence of God and to worship him. Again, should we think about that flippantly or arrogantly or just casually? We are coming into the presence of God. We're coming to worship him. He is our true and complete king of Salem, king of peace, king of righteousness priest of the Most High God. So in being king of righteousness, John Calvin says that, for though this honor is ascribed to kings who rule with moderation and in equity, yet this title belongs really to Christ alone, who not only exercises authority justly, as, as others do, but also communicates to us the righteousness of God partly when he makes us to be counted righteous by a gratuitous reconciliation, and partly when he renews us by his spirit that we may lead a godly and holy life. He says, He is then called the king of righteousness because of what he affects in diffusing righteousness on all his people. Jesus is our king of righteousness. And in that, we are made righteous. So in that, we can trust, if we are his, that we are no longer left in our sins. We are righteous. Therefore, we can live righteous lives. Often, in my pastoral ministry, I've had people come to me and said, this sin, I just can't get rid of this sin. This sin is just eating at me. I've tried to repent from it. I've tried to turn from it. I just can't get rid of the sin. And they, they get to sin and they just, man, I just can't get rid of the sin. It just hangs on to me. I can't get rid of it. I can't repent of it. It just, it's on me. I just can't get rid of it. And I'm like, what are you focusing on here? You just got the sin and you just hang on to it. Like you, the chains are gone. You've been set free, right? You can walk away from that sin. Christ has freed you from it. Focus on Christ. Don't focus on the sin. They just hang on to it like it's their crutch, like I just can't get rid of this. But you can. The chain's been broken. Walk away. Don't focus on our sin so much. We are righteous. Focus on Christ. Focus on what He has done for you. Focus on how He has set you free. But we want to run back to the prison. We want to run back to the chain and grab a hold of it and try to stick it back on us. No, we're free. Walk away. Forget about it. Move on. Don't focus on our sin. Focus on our Savior. He is the King of righteousness. He has defeated sin. We can trust that. He is also King of the Most High God. And in that, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Who will do this? All those in heaven. All those on earth. Even all those under the earth. Everyone. There's no way anyone can walk away from not doing this. People will say, oh, I just don't believe in that religion. I don't believe in Christianity. I'm never going to do that. You will bow down to Christ. You will Bow down to the King of the Most High God. He's also the King of Peace. How do you bring peace to the world? How do you bring peace to the universe? I think we saw that in Psalm 110, right? You defeat and destroy your enemies, then you have peace. That is what Jesus does and will ultimately do in his return. He brings peace by bringing righteousness. The world has got it totally mixed up today. There is no peace without righteousness. There is none. You can't bring peace without righteousness. You can't have one without the other. Jesus brings peace. By bringing righteousness. This is not what we see in a a lot of churches today. It's not what we see in in the world. It's not what we see on social media. It's not what we see a lot of times in commercials. How do they see Jesus? Often this week, nice, just wishing everyone would love him, Jesus. Wishing everyone would just come to him, just pleading with people. Please just come to me. Please just be my friend. Please just, just come over here. You know, this poor Jesus. No one will come and have a meal with him. Poor, lonely Jesus. Y'all, come on. Get, help him out. You know, come and be his friend. He's lonely. You know, that Jesus is not the Jesus of Scripture, and it's not the King of righteousness. We'll see later in Hebrews that our Lord is a consuming fire. He will crush and utterly destroy his enemies. So the question I gotta ask is, are you his enemy? If you haven't trusted him as your savior, then I'm afraid you're his enemy. There's no middle ground here. There's no riding the fence. There's no, well, take him or leave him. There's no, hey, he's okay. No. You don't want to leave here as enemy. Repent. Trust Jesus. Trust what he accomplished in his life coming to us. Trust what he accomplished in his death. Taking the wrath of the Father upon himself on that cross. Trust what he accomplished in defeating sin and rising from the dead. Trust that he accomplished this for you. Turn from your sins and turn to Christ. Turn to Jesus as your high priest. And if you are a Christian, you may say, well, what does this have to do with me? Well, the answer is Jesus is your king of peace. You can live in peace. John 16, Jesus says, he says, what, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. He didn't say, I'm I'm going to overcome the world. He didn't say, I'm eventually, I'm trying to overcome the world. He says, I have overcome the world. Take heart. Take peace. Be at peace. No matter what you're going through. No matter what is going on in your life, what's going on at work, what's going on in your family, what's going on in your life. Take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. You can have peace. We look at this world and we see, it's, it's, it looks grim, it looks rough. No matter what the world looks like, Jesus is still king. He's not left his throne, he's still in complete control. There's wars, there's rumors of wars, sin is rampant in our country, sin is rampant in the world. Don't think that this is a sign that Jesus has lost control. He hasn't. Therefore, we continue to trust him as Christians. And we continue to find where Jesus is working. We continue to find where he is advancing his kingdom. And I can tell you he is still advancing his kingdom. It doesn't look like it, but he is. He advances his kingdom most in tribulation. He advances his kingdom most in trials. He advances his kingdom most when we think... He can't. So we continue to look where he is advancing his kingdom. And we jump in. We continue to make disciples of all nations. Starting here in Bonham. And we continue the work of the ministry. Don't allow the stuff to distract you. Don't allow this, this, this world and this tribulation to, to, to take us off. The mission at hand. What did he call us to do? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and, what? And, com- and teaching them, you know the rest, to do all I've commanded, right? That's our mission. That's our goal. We continue to see where Jesus is working, see where he is advancing the mission, and jump in. Continue to push forward. Continue to devote yourself to good works. Continue to devote yourself to making disciples. And we trust the King. We trust Him. We have faith in Him. I have so many friends just this week are going through hard things. And they see their children going through hard things. And they're, they're struggling. And i was like, we, you know what? Faith is hard. Faith is hard, but we trust the king. Continue to trust the king. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this time that we do get to come before you, come before your throne of grace, and we get to worship you. Thank you that you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us, that you will never leave us alone, that you are King, our Lord, our Savior, and our friend. We thank you that you invite us to come to your table and to eat with you and dine with you and fellowship with you. We thank you that we we have the great privilege of doing this on the Lord's day. Lord, help us not to come to you flippantly or arrogantly. Help us to know that when we come to worship you, it's a privilege and it's an honor. And Lord, teach us this daily. Thank you again for this time and for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for that.